0: hey welcome to live at the nut bar this is episode six you're here with uh, jb and dave cunningham uh, this episode we're looking at regulation and uh, all of that government interference in the housing market and how that's playing
1: out so uh inter- dave you've been looking at some data right yeah inter- interference that's an interesting word <laughs> <laughs> it's certainly not getting to do its sort of natural things but yeah they um, had a great update from CoreLogic in the last week or so and um, probably the thing that stood out most for me from the data was what's happening with investors and first home buyers uh, in relation to new builds in particular and obviously how that's flowing through into Investor purchases of existing property. So here's the here's the I guess startling uh, information. So over the last um, two or three years, since you remember tax changes were announced uh, almost three years ago now, certainly about over two years ago, which reduced the interest deductibility. It's dropped from 100% deductibility to 75% uh, last year, um, and 50% the year we're currently in, and dropping to zero over the next two years. So what's sort of been interesting is that the share of new builds in New Zealand that investors are buying as a proportion of the total has really rocketed. It's up 50%. Insight there, of course, is that the deductibility remains for those new builds for 20 years. And in fact, if you sell your new build, the interest deductibility goes with that. Hey, the other interesting thing too is first home buyers are also really, really active in the new build market, you know, up from about 10 to 15% of activity, it's doubled. It's almost 30% of all new builds going to first home buyers now. So who's given up share? It's movers. So people are sticking in their house or buying another sort of house rather than building a new one if you already have one. So maybe JB, why don't we just start with first home buyers? You know, why have they doubled in terms of uh, their share of the new builds? Okay. Well, yeah. Great place to
0: start, right? So, um, look, I guess I guess there's a couple of things there. So, the first is that uh, the property market got got so expensive that first home buyers have moved from standalone houses that they've been priced out of
1: yep.
0: uh, into townhouses, and eventually it will be into apartments, right? So, um, I think behavior of first home buyers is fundamentally driven by affordability at the end of the day i think kiwis still have that for a lot of kiwis they still have that ambition of a, of the quarter acre dream it's just not a reality anymore
1: yeah and actually if you look at the building consent activity today compared to even 5 years ago certainly compared to sort of 5 to 10 years ago It used to be standalone homes, now it's absolutely dominated by townhouses in the main cities, Auckland, Wellington, Christchurch. Yeah, what's quite interesting
0: is if you went back to sort of 2008, um, there was a lot of apartment building activity going on in the the big cities, particularly in Wellington and Auckland. Mm. Um, There was a lot of apartment building going on, uh, but predominantly the buyers of those properties were property investors. Right, so a lot of the apartment building in the New Zealand Market has been uh, has been sold down to property investors, not owner occupied. We're not really, you know, at a stage of our of our growth where um, you know you're getting a lot of owner occupied apartments. You're, you're seeing it now, but there's a real difference between uh, you know s- small, tight, fifty square metre apartment. Uh, and maybe a 140 square meter apartment, which is much more livable, right? Mm, mm. And, and so if you go to Australia, there's a lot more owner-occupied apartments, but the bigger, mm. you know, the 130, 140 square meters. Mm. Here, um, you know, we've predominantly been building these quite small apartments for students, uh, short term, but to support the high levels of immigration that we've had, right? Mm, mm. Um, and what's interesting is that there's just no apartment building going on because most of our developers went under, um, during the GFC yeah, so
1: we've had 10 years of yeah more than 10 years of no apartments no very few new apartments because I remember back in uh, well 2008 9 10 you know pre-GFC there was you know there were dozens of you know high-rise apartment buildings going up at Auckland literally everyone went bust didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah, almost
0: but you know what's interesting is that so that this for not pheno- this townhouse phenomenon was really driven uh, by first home buyers. And, yeah. and I think more recently, yeah. more recently, property investors when the tax changes came through. But this was all okay. about the market realizing that the gap, product wise, was affordable housing for first home buyers. Yeah,
1: yeah. So affordable housing. Well, there's a nice entree into the um, investor sort of side of things. So, JB, you mentioned that the tax changes have driven investor interest in. New builds, in particular, as we said up um, 50% on you know a year or two ago, um, and it can measure it will drop in investor share of existing property. So can you just walk us through the you know how that tax change works and what it means for a property investor, and you know both maybe the, start with perhaps with the existing property investors, what's going to happen, and then yep. move on to the new property investors and where they should be thinking about investing there.
0: Yeah, so if you, if you take a bit of a step back, you know, th- this wasn't one thing and that's always a risk with, uh, with the way that, you know, I guess um, governments meddle in the market. You know, um, I guess New Zealand house prices were going up. The government got concerned about it.
1: Yeah, housing crisis is what it called. I don't, we're not yeah. hearing housing crisis so much right now. No. We might come on to rental crisis a bit later because I've got some views there, but anyway. Sorry. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So we had the housing crisis. Um, and, and look, I guess there was a there were a number of things that started to get thrown into the mix. So LVR restrictions were thrown in, uh, and you know, so at one stage, property investors, I think when it first came out, it was seventy percent, wasn't it? That was the maximum LVR for. Property investors and then didn't work, didn't yeah. work enough, so they pulled it down to sixty. Mm. They they always argued financial stability, but yeah. it had nothing to do with financial stability. It was all about trying to slow the market yeah. down.
1: And of course, sixty didn't mean sixty. Sixty could be one hundred percent geared on the investment property, uh, on the investment property, and much lower gearing on your personal home. So sixty wasn't really sixty anyway for a for a. Buy well, with lots of equity in their own home.
0: Yeah, for old, for older investors, yeah. but you know, a decent amount of the property investor activity that was occurring in the market were younger people getting ahead, mm. buy a property, it goes up in value, recycle the equity, do the next one, mm. and and it killed that market. Um, so you know, the LVR restrictions were were probably the first you know serious shot across the bow, um, but remember there were other changes as well. So the um, foreign buyer ban. Mm. You know, that was uh, essentially designed to stop foreign buyer investors, yeah? Um, there were other subtle changes that went through around uh, income verification and stuff that made it a bit more challenging for, for, for some communities to to sort of play in this space. But a whole range of stuff, but it, 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 in, in totality, it hadn't kind of, hadn't done the job, right? And then we had interest rates <laughs> dropping, house prices kept going up, and I think in a, in a moment of desperation they just pulled the big gun yeah which was... I, I
1: remember when that was announced and it was like i remember saying at the time this will create a rental crisis and you know i'm still on that case it's a slow moving train wreck in my opinion we'll come to that in a minute too but yeah i mean that 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 tax change stunned it because it was so out of step with the way businesses operate you know you, you invest something and your interest to fund it's deductible so yeah that yeah. was the big gun, but it's yeah. been surprisingly slow until perhaps more recently. Well, I,
0: th- I think it's been surprisingly slow because they did it when interest rates were incredibly low. Ah, yeah. And um, they did it when interest rates were really, really low, and, of course, they phased it in over four years. So... Um, and bear in mind that the implication of it really only hits investors at, at the year end when they're doing their tax returns. Mm, mm. So, you know, the only investors are really only starting to feel the pinch on it mm. probably now, right? Because we're down to 50%, or at mm. least this tax year will be down to 50%. Mm. Um, they're starting to sort of see the impact. And then, of course the real impact for them at the moment is it just these really high interest yeah, rates. so
1: you've got a double whammy. I mean, I think the um, the latest data shows rental yields have improved uh, from about 3 on average across New Zealand to 3.5% on new purchases, yep. um, which reflects actually the falling in house prices rather than, you know, a modest rise in rents but more the fall in house prices. So let's do the maths. You're earning 3.5%. Uh, rental yield. If you buy an existing property, there's no deductibility, it's, you don't get any at all for a new purchase. So three and a half, a third of that is going to be taxed of that rental yield, let's yep. say at least 33%, I'd say. So that takes the yield down to The math, two two and a half, just about two and a half percent. Yeah. And what's your interest rate? (laughs) Well, at the moment, one year rate, you're probably getting close to seven, right? Yeah, so seven non deductible. So you're paying seven, earning two and a half. That doesn't sound like a very good equation recipe for success (laughs) unless property prices go up, surge, or interest rates plummet. Because, you know, just imagine three years at that, you know, you've lost 12 percent. So the property price needs to go up 12 percent just to break even. Yeah, so Actually, I guess it's the the odds are stacked with that interest rate change and the deductibility yeah. cutting in. Um, uh.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, no, totally. So I think I think look, if, if property investors at the moment were playing in the property market, it would be speculative. It's not based on fundamentals, mm. and and I think what they would be doing is they would be buying properties where they go, this represents good value. the, the yeah. yield and stuff might not make sense at the moment, mm. but it represents mm. good value. And and I know if I hold this property, uh, medium term, two things are going to yeah. happen. One is that we're at the top of an interest rate cycle. Interest rates are going to fall, mm. uh, and that there will be some recovery in those nominal house prices. Mm. So in real terms, uh, you know, house prices will still fall while inflation is high. Uh, but in nominal terms, you know, you would expect mm. to see some increase come through in these. These, these house values. But,
1: but I think what you're saying is effectively you've got to buy incredibly smart and it yeah. probably isn't the average zone punter. of the average punter. Yeah, no. So you know, there'll be a few people where it does make sense to buy because they're getting a great buy but actually for any property investor, it just makes no sense with the current tax rules. Now, what, what's the situation with government policy and opposition party policy on on the deductibility of uh, interest?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, so obviously National and, and Luxton have come out on a number of occasions. Now, I think most recently in I'm going to say April this year, uh, and said that they will uh, reinstate interest deductibility yeah. on residential investment properties. So, so I, I'm yeah. guessing just about every Property investor out. There's going to be voting national this year.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's um, it's and, and I think from a, an accountant told me this that that any interest that wasn't treated as deductible is still held on account, so it can be then you know. So this is historical interest can be yep. then be you know. So actually, um, from a, a property investment perspective, if you're an existing property owner. Or want to be buying in the future uh, existing properties as opposed to new builds. Um, you know, there's one party that's on your side specifically in relation to the tax treatment.
0: So it's a pretty big bet, though, isn't it? Because yeah. I mean, like, you know, I mean, who would have thought you would? Whether or not you buy a property uh, depends on your view on who's going to form the next government. <laughs> it's kind of random. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And
1: um, yeah, I mean, in my mind, there's a different approach tax-wise. We'll come to that perhaps nearer the end. So. Conclusion: Unless you're buying really well, which which isn't the domain of most property investors, um, then it doesn't make sense to buy an existing property unless you're dead certain that we're going to have a change in government.
0: Yeah. Or um, yeah. No. No. Totally. Uh, uh, For a mum and dad investor, you know, like there are there are some smart investors out there that that know how to play this market. I think um, they'll they'll be they'll be seeing the value add. So the other area that I think there's significant value add in and and you know could be actually quite good buying at the moment uh, is development land. So um, so what we saw at the peak of the cycle is with the really low interest rates and everyone just getting totally carried away. Um, it was very expensive to buy 800 square meter plots of land that you can put eight terrace townhouses on. Uh, yep. and, um, and, and then that flowed through to the end sale price. The end sale prices dropped, the land prices have dropped. So yeah. I saw a deal the other day where the developer probably two years ago would have paid about uh, 1.5 million for the, for, the, for the 800 square meter site. Uh, he's paying around a mil now, so down
1: 30, 33%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So by to sell to a developer, but it's got to be the right bit of land with the right zoning and all that or, stuff. Or, or,
0: or you, you, you kind of fancy doing that sort of project yourself. There's a number of people out there that have kind of decided that they want to do a small townhouse development. Yeah. Be, be cautious. It's you got lot... any experience in townhouse <laughs> developments, JB? I've, I've only ever lost money uh, <laughs> doing townhouse development. So, um, stick to broking. <laughs> stick to broking, yeah. Oh, anyway, that probably covers yeah. that off.
1: Okay, okay. well, let's move on to the new build market then. So, um, tax-wise, really attractive. Well, the same attractive that any property investment had <laughs> until a couple of years ago, but relatively far more attractive with full deductible of interest for, you know, I think, committed for 20 years. And uh, as I said earlier, if you sell the property, that deductibility can go with that. Um, so...
0: Um, it's a bit more than that, though, as well, Dave, because, I mean, healthy home standard, you're automatically okay on that. Yeah. Just, just bear in mind that these second-hand houses, you know, often have quite high levels of maintenance requirement. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you've got a new build, you've got um, depreciation of chattels, yeah. uh, which on a new build is pretty significant. Yeah. Um, so, so when you work your way through it and you go, okay, chattels depreciation, healthy home standard tick, um, you know, you're going to get a higher rent. Um, and you've got tax deductibility and
1: the shorter bright line test. Yeah. So if we, yeah, shorter bright line test, I think it's five years for new builders. Yeah. So genius government policy then maybe, you know, get rid of the this property price upward spiral you get from property investors buying existing homes and move them all over to new homes and you should have a booming construction sector driven by property investors with first home buyers chipping in a fair bit too. Is that what we've got? Or well, had? <laughs> well, we had that. We had that up until uh, you know,
0: I guess, the last uh, six to nine months, mm-hmm. where you know, to to do to do terrace townhouses, because most of this, are, I mean, look, in places like Christchurch, there's been a huge amount of um, sort of single house builds going on down there, largely bought by investors.
1: Yeah, place like Rolleston and that, ain't?
0: Eh? Yeah, oh, Rolleston's just been going gangbusters. Um, yeah, you know, those are standalone houses. In Auckland, it's been terrace townhouses.
1: Um, mm-hmm. You see it in the building consent numbers. Mm.
0: Yeah, uh, so the, look, the challenge for Auckland is that with terrace townhouse projects, you need pre-sales.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And to get pre-sales, you need uh, people buying, mm-hmm. and people just simply haven't been buying for the last six months.
1: Because prices are falling, why would I buy today when it will be cheaper tomorrow?
0: Absolutely, and because interest rates that, remember, as much as interest rates have peaked now, if you go back six months, there was no sense that interest rates would peak. Mm. You know, mm. some people out there were speculating they could go to nine or ten percent. Mm. We we mm. we thought they'd never get that high, but yeah. but but the reality is that there were people out there that were saying that.
1: Mm. As an aside, people might recall if you've listened to the podcast. I think it was about four or five weeks ago we did one on have property prices bottomed. <laughs> yeah. I think the conclusion at the end of that was we're very near the bottom. What's interesting is almost every economist has now copied us and <laughs> said the same. we were just. Uh, sort of ahead of the game but you know um, interestingly though interest rates have risen slightly since since then but yeah when, when interest rates are at the peak if you can afford it then you know if the price isn't falling tomorrow which is pretty much the view of most economists now with migration surging and that um, then you know I suppose that means pre-sales will start to emerge for those people that can afford them and if you can afford it now with the test rate of what eight and a half nine percent yep um, then chip when um, you get down to you know four to five percent long run um, sort of two year fixed interest rates you 'll be feeling pretty good about yourself, I reckon
0: yeah look the only the only challenge I think that developers have got at mo well, they 've got plenty of challenges right so a lot of them purchase land at the top of a cycle, so the economics of their projects are completely buggered. so they can 't even get their projects off the ground because even if they could sell them. Mm-hmm. Uh, build costs have gone up, sale prices have gone down. The margins have disappeared. No one's going to fund them, yeah. right? So there's a lot of stalled projects out there that are simply because the
1: economics of the project don't stack well, up. They'll stay stalled for a long time, surely, then, because you know, if I sort of think of, here's an example: if if I was going to sell for a million eighteen months ago, mm. and my construction costs were eight hundred, <laughs> that same project today, your construction costs are eight fifty, and I could only sell for seven fifty yeah I'm not going to do the project so I'm just going to sit on the land am I
0: yeah well so this is this is always the problem with developers and builders is that they can't sit so um, you know you and I could sit on a piece of land and not worry about it but but that's how developers and builders make their money that's how they service their debt Mm -hmm. so um, the reality is they have either got to develop and move it even at a loss uh, if, if look, if they're wealthy they can sit on it, but a lot of them aren't wealthy and a lot of them have just got to keep moving, so they've just got to meet the market, and, and so you see a bit of a stalemate, you sort of see everyone standing on the sides, a mm. bit of a stalemate, but at some point someone blinks, mm. and the person that's going to blink is going to be the developer and the builder, because they just can't keep going. Mm holding these properties yeah, at, at a
1: much higher interest rate. Much higher well, interest rate. Because it's probably floating rate too. So. Uh,
0: well, well to put it in perspective, if they're using yeah. non-bank funding, they've probably got an all-up cost of about 15% per annum. So if, you don't,
1: if you're not building and selling within a year, it really starts to, well, you're going to make a, you know, yeah. kill your development. Oh,
0: you just yeah. basically, it's just it's a slow death.
1: So what brings the developers and builds back into the market then? You know, with, with sale prices lower, construction costs higher, therefore the margins for the builders are going to be lower, what's going to happen?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, so land prices have definitely fallen and mm, yeah. uh, and if you were buying a project today, you can actually really make the economics work, okay. um, even with lower sale prices. Okay. It,
1: so it's just sort of flushing out of that yeah. stuff that we've just talked about, but as that's flushed out, you know, you've got new people coming in with a different set of economics. So does that mean for building consents, which have, you know, they climb steadily to around about 5,000 a month from 1,000 post-GFC, um, they've come off uh, quite a, a little bit so far. Will that plunge or will that turn quite quickly with uh, immigration, especially? And you know, some
0: I those? well, I think I think the problem that you'll have is it takes the sector a long time to recover. Mm-hmm. So um, you're going to have this big drop off in building activity. You're going to have uh, tradies disappear off to Aussie, <laughs> uh, which yeah. happens every time, right? Uh, and then and then I think what you'll have is that you know you just. these existing builders and developers don't just start spinning up new projects with good economics they're stuck in the ones that they're in all their Mm. capitals tied up Mm. you know that I don't think people are walking around with big wads of cash in Mm. their back pocket that can suddenly you know kind of ignore their ship projects and do the new ones. So a bit
1: less supply or that supply coming onto the market will continue to decline for a while what another year or more would you say?
0: Yeah, look, I'd say we're probably two or three years before we start to see meaningful supply back into the market. Whilst migration
1: is fifty to 100,000, well, let's say 50,000 a year, which Mm. is another 20,000 houses needed. So... uh, yeah. Guess what does that like? say for property prices? <laughs> yeah, they're going to go. Which, which, and I guess if they go up, that makes it more economic for developers to yeah. do their projects. So yeah. you know, it's like supply and demand doing what supply and demand should do. Yeah, it's like Adam, it's, Adam Smith's invisible hand. I know, but
0: it's like Groundhog Day. eh? We, but just every cycle is the same. It's right. like we completely bugger up the construction sector. Um, we underbuild for a period post the the, yep. the bust, and uh, mm-hmm. we have high immigration, and then we end up with you know. Uh, housing crisis
1: again. So, so for back to property <laughs> investors. So, buying a new build at the right price, not overpaying at the right price, yep. makes good sense from every which way. You've got all those sort of benefits. A little bit of depreciation. You've yep. got no cost of healthy homes. You know, that's definitely yep. the home you have It's the home you have to have build. Um, you'll probably attract a decent yield, yep. rental yield, um, and uh, get tax deductibility. So, how how about the impact of all this on? renters. So let me sort of share a story. Parapara Umu where I live, um, has had a rental crisis for at least three years. So during COVID, I was like, why are all these motels full? There are no travellers. And I sort of asked around and it was like, they were full because they were used emergency as emergency housing. housing yeah. And that hasn't changed three years later. And there's heaps of land, land around companies. So the zoning and all that stuff's not a constraint. There's quite a bit of building going on. But rent, but rental yields, rentals have gone. Say a three-bedroom house has gone from four fifty to six fifty, even seven fifty over those three years. It's simply because there's so much demand and so little supply. So you know, there's sort of one case study of a market where um, tenants are struggling to get any house, new build or otherwise. So with investors not buying existing properties, and in fact, in theory, unless there's a change in government, I suppose, selling their existing property because it just becomes uneconomic, you know, they should bank their profit. They probably still made a profit if they bought more than two or three years ago from the surge post-COVID. Which, which would put downward pressure on house prices. Yeah, so, you know, if if property investors are sellers of property, mm-hmm. then where do those tenants go? Well, who's buying them? Well, who's buying them? A first home buyer, I guess. or. A, yeah first home buyer probably or a mover or, or something a mover like that. Yeah. yeah so um where do the renters go then? I suppose they were they were renters and now they 're first home buyers that 's the sort of so Well, sort of, well is
0: uh, it? possibly except for with interest rates this high the, the reality is most renters probably can 't become first home buyers hmm. yeah we 've got we 've got about fifty percent of our population that will rent for life so
1: so look, you could stand back and go, this tax stuff 's going to be a disaster for for, for renters we're going to sort of you know why would a property investor own an existing property with no tax deductibility unless they've got low gearing or, or interest rates plummet
0: yeah look it's, I mean it, it, there's some interesting dynamics here so um, I, look I, I, I think there's always a risk of um, you know either a housing crisis or a rental crisis we're always going to have one or the other or both right um, and they seem to come and go different parts of the different parts of the cycle we, we, we simply just don't Consistently build enough, and and you know, affordability is a problem because it's so damn expensive to build here, right? And, mm-hmm. and there's a whole range of reasons for that we won't go through today. Um, but I don't know where I was going with that. What were we talking about? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sounding oh, good anyway, rental crisis and, and, all, and all that stuff, and why would a property owner? Oh, that's what, I, home, that's what but... I was
0: going to say. The, 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 the interesting thing for me is because I think you're going to talk about uh, you know, different way of thinking about this tax, right, the, the, the issue for me is I, the, I, I get the tax, I, I get it, right, which is to stop property investors speculating on what should be owner-occupied property, mm. you know, and, and to encourage investors to buy property that is more pure investment orientated, right, now there's a tax deductibility rule for social housing, so um, even with existing property, if, if, the, if the tenants are through social housing, you get interest deductibility. So um, I think one of the arguments is there's gonna be a bunch of people that just won't get into the housing market at all. Mm. The reality is the way it works is because that part of the market's kept its deductibility, mm. that's actually okay. And there's, mm. a, there's mm. a bunch of investors out there at the mm. moment running around just putting uh, social housing groups into, into you know, secondhand houses. Right. Um, not in Auckland anymore. So much of it happened. It's been the doors been shut up here, but you go elsewhere, Rotorua, mm. etc. It's happening. Mm. Um, but what I was going to say is that you know they've got this arbitrary line of ten units. What mm. they say is if you've got ten units in a block, or let you know ten, sorry, twenty. They say if you've got more than twenty units, then you can be deemed to. Um, uh, be a, a commercial business and keep your tax deductibility. If you've got less than 20 units, you can't. So I could buy a block of 10 units, and there's tons of these around in the cities, right? Mm. I could buy a block of 10 units, and I'm not gonna get interest deductibility for it, but please tell me, when is an owner-occupied person ever gonna buy
1: that? No, of course not, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? hey, hey, so turning to uh, the tax the, the side, I mean, there are pros and cons, you know, there's, there's the investor value of housing, was higher than the owner-occupier value of housing, and so in some ways you've got rid of that, but is there a better way? So as you say, Luxon, sort of promising uh, uh, to reinstate interest deductibility, but I reckon the issue is that the current or the previous tax arrangements allowed a property investor to be 100% geared. In fact, if you've got your own home and you buy an investment property, you make sure you're 100% geared the investment property right. I reckon part of the issue is that that, that you know that level of gearing, and I reckon a better solution than reinstating full deductibility would be what's sort of called a thin capitalization rule, and this is what's applied to international companies that operate in New Zealand, though that said I think Facebook made a million in New Zealand and 99 million in Ireland this year out mm. of New Zealand. <laughs> but these thin capitalization rules basically say, hey, you can apply a certain percentage of the Uh, of debt against the property. So if I buy a property for 500,000, the thin capitalization rule would say, you can have deductibility on let's say 75% of that, which would be whatever, 325,000. So two things, if you gear it to 500,000, 100% geared, you only get deductibility on 75%. Um, Secondly, it's more sort of skin in the game and, 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 and so on. And so it's sort of a halfway house between the two saying, hey, uh, gearing 100% is leveraging the equity in your house. Is that sort of fair to first home buyers that can't? But find a level of thin capitalisation that says any property investor has to be either putting in their own capital or only have have a portion deducted. So, and that could almost be used as a sort of a policy tool where, where um, you know that could be adjusted sort of over over time. I mean, you don't want to play with these things often, but you know you might select an initial level of 60% or 80% or something. But in my mind, that sort of fixes the problem in a far more elegant way than reinstating full deductibility versus moving to zero deductibility. So basically we've got two extremes, nothing or everything.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's a really interesting discussion for for another podcast day around land tax. Mm -hmm. Um, Because there's some really interesting economic research around this. The fundamental problem that we've got is that all of the value... Uh, all of the growth in an economy ultimately flows through into property prices, which is why property has been the best investment class. You're talking New Zealand or
1: internationally? No, globally. Globally. globally.
0: Globally. Uh, It's why property just outperforms everything, right? Because um, what happens is all of the excess income in an economy um, basically flows back into property prices. And And the easiest way to describe that is just think how someone behaves, right, when they go to auction. They, they pay the maximum amount that they can afford. And if the income goes up, the property price goes up. Mm. So we're, we're always bidding in our mm. surplus income into property prices going up. Now it's not just consumers that do that, businesses do it as well. Mm. And so what it means is that all of the value that we create uh ultimately finds its way into into mm-hmm. the property market. Mm-hmm. And, and and the problem with that is that when you get growing levels of inequality, that just flows straight through into the property market as well. Now the question is how do how do you how do you fundamentally change these things, right? Now everyone's uh,
1: right. We're having the land tax te- discussion probably. an we going to have podcast, a, 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 but yeah, that's a nice intro to it. I guess, uh, yeah, uh,
0: but 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 these taxes and everything yeah. the government's doing is, is is trying to address this fundamental issue, but they're not they're not talking about the issue that way. They're just simply going. House prices are too expensive. Mm. What lever can we pull to mm. sort of try and change mm. it? Mm. We've got all of these levers
1: going yeah. on. If you're watching this podcast, you would see JB's arms <laughs> flying around in the air because you can imagine, you know. There have been so many levers pulled and it's not just the government of course the reserve bank's been totally active in this space too so yeah. it's like you know you know huge impact and with an, with an industry dominated by banks banks here in new zealand 98 percent are lending with banks Hopefully, and there's a it's you know, a really big discussion they'll in all str- zig together and zag together yeah. two responding so yeah so it's, it's a
0: really big issue in australia at the moment you know they're talking housing crisis again over there i don't know if you've seen the media recently but that, they've got some real problems over there yeah um, both in terms of a rental crisis mm. but now also mm. um, an affordability crisis yeah. oh, we need to to... and a house price crisis. Jeez.
1: Okay, I think that's enough crises for <laughs> a day, but I think we need a new word for crisis because there are too many happening in the world today, and especially <laughs> in New Zealand. Business as usual, yeah. Yeah, I think there are disclosure prices with Auckland Airport shares too. It's, uh, <laughs> it's like, that's surely a crisis for <laughs> yeah. one person anyway. Anyway, hey, that's us for another week. Uh, look to... forward to tuning in again in a week's time. Awesome. Cheers. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you have any questions or things you'd like us to talk about in the future, get in touch with us at david at squirrel.co.nz or john at squirrel.co.nz. And please do share this uh, and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. The opinions expressed in this podcast are not financial advice or a recommendation of any financial product. Any commentary provided are personal views and are not necessarily representative of the opinions of Squirrel. As always, we recommend seeking professional investment or mortgage advice before taking any action.